Mindfulness Mode 204. And that is the power of mindfulness, in my opinion, to be able to not have to be pulled this way and that, but to choose which way you're going to go. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks so much for joining again today. I I just want to mention that last time we had what I thought was an amazing conversation. It was with Joshua Spodek. He's a scientist, he's an astrophysicist, and so much more. He is really a specialist in the field of leadership. We talked about mindfulness and leadership. We talked about art because even though he's a scientist, he became very immersed in the art world. And it's because of an invention that he created. Wow, it was a really enjoyable episode. So if you haven't heard 203, you might want to go back and check it out. But today, I think you're really going to enjoy our guest, who is a hypnotherapist, and she's really talented in so many ways. She's created meditations that you can listen to online, so we'll be talking about that. And I think that you'll really enjoy the episode today. So Mindful Tribe, you could do one thing that could really help, and that is just share this episode. Tell your friends, tell your family, hey, you know, you might like listening to Mindfulness Mode. And just by telling friends about it and having friends subscribe, that can really help us. Because, you know, it can be a challenge just to keep these shows rolling out all the time. And and it it takes your support and you're supporting by listening but you can also support the the podcast by just sharing this with others and having them subscribe so thanks again for joining sit back relax and enjoy shell hamilton okay mindful tribe let's begin i'm totally excited to have shell hamilton with me today hey shell are you in mindfulness mode today I, I most days I am. I do have ADD, so some days are more challenging than others. Right. Well, I just want to uh, start with a little bit of a bio about you, Shell. Shell Hamilton is a hypnotherapist and has worked in this field for over 10 years. She's an expert at helping people overcome their anxieties, their fears, and she uses her deep understanding of human conscious and subconsciousness and the brain functions and how it works. She also hosts the Meditation Minis podcast of short guided meditations for overcoming anxiety and stress. So let's talk about this anxiety and stress. Why do you think these kinds of guided meditations help people so much to deal with their stress? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So you're probably familiar with uh, Benson's work Benson, right? Sometimes I get the names wrong. I can see the book, uh, Relaxation Response. Right. And uh, they talk about in that book and then in the Relaxation Revolution as well, you know, this combination of relaxation and visualization is what they talk about. Um, and hypnosis really is tapping into both of those. You get into a relaxed state and rather than Um, kind of a focal point mindfulness technique, you then engage your visualization. And if somebody doesn't visualize really well, it's okay. You can still get a feeling, get a sense 
of the scenario and that also works. And that is the kind of language that speaks directly to your subconscious mind. And since anxiety and stress really live in the subconscious mind, logic doesn't work on them, but making new pictures does. And you're really good at conjuring up those images, you know, the sound of your voice, the way you just seem so relaxed and you're just telling us about a stream and what it looks like. And, you know, you just have you always had this ability for storytelling and to connect with listeners that way? Ah, that's a wonderful question. Yes, um, I've always been fascinated by story ever since I was a kid. And, and I actually never thought I would be a hypnotherapist. In fact, when the idea came up um, about 12, 13 years ago, my attitude was, oh, that's some serious BS that only my my candles and sandals friends in, in California would fall for. I'm a practical Midwestern girl. I don't do that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been a really amazing journey. I just went sideways and I forgot what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I, and I want to ask you, as, as we're talking about this, about hypnotherapy, because, you know, Mindful Tribe may or may not totally understand what it it's like to be treated by a hypnotherapist. Hypnotherapist. Can you, ex can yeah. you explain what that's like? I'll say it one more time, to be treated by a hypnotherapist. <laughs> yes, go. and I actually did remember what we were talking about before, which is storytelling. So let's right. run all the way back around. Sure, sure. Um, I grew up with a dad who did marketing and advertising. Uh, so that's all about story. Uh, when I uh, was in college and afterwards, I was really fascinated with playwriting and screenwriting and that's all about story so when the hypnosis thing came up I, I had already had so many years of training unknowingly for storytelling and, and especially when you're doing dramatic writing you're really getting an audience to travel with you from one belief to another from one emotion right. to another right. and so all of this really fed into the work in a way you know I never could have imagined, but apparently the universe knew better than me as she tends to do. Um, so with hypnotherapy, it's never what people expect. Um, it's actually not very different than doing meditation. It's just trance. Uh, you could call it, you know, relaxation, response, and visualization. That's the same thing. People who do sports do it all the time, whether or not they're taught that it's actually quote unquote hypnosis, or if okay. they're just doing visualization techniques. Um, there are some ways that you give suggestions in hypnosis that you might not get in other modalities. Um, and some people are more physically suggestible than others. So let's say I'm working with somebody who wants to stop smoke, um, which is a typical thing that people have heard that you use hypnotherapy for. And I do it sometimes, but it's not the area that I tend to focus in the most. Right. Um, I used to smoke though. So I still have a sweet spot for people who are trying to let go of that. Right. And for some people, they're very, uh, what's the word, physically suggestible, which means that I can make cigarettes taste like they're smoking dog poop. Ooh. 
And that <laughs> that's only work. about 20% of the population. Everybody's okay. mentally suggestible um, unless they are developmentally disabled or have had, and, and high-functioning developmentally disabled are still able to go through the process. Um, or somebody who's had some kind of brain trauma that makes it impossible for them to remember three simple instructions in a row. Okay. Uh, and then the other people who have difficulty with it are people who come to my office and they're they're high on pot. Other drugs don't seem to affect it as much, but marijuana definitely uh, can affect the. I mean, I think they're just already tranced out, right? So how can you take anybody deeper than that? I see. Yeah, that <laughs> makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. So I think so many of us, you know, if we watch mainstream TV or we're exposed to these kinds of ideas, they're like, oh my gosh, you're going to hypnotize me. You're going to make me, you know, do some crazy thing that I have no idea what I'm doing. You're going to take total control over me. What would you say to a person who talks to you like that? I would say that that is exactly what the TV wants you to believe. That's exactly what media wants you to believe because what they don't want you to know is that when you're watching TV, when you're watching movies, you are hypnotized. And that makes you more open to their suggestions of advertising, whether it's the advertising that comes in between you know, episode segments, or if it's the advertising that comes in the actual film itself, the product placements and things like that, that you're totally suggestible to their outside influence. I would say that they don't want you to know what real hypnosis looks like because mm. anytime that you go and hear a great public speaker, you're being hypnotized. So choose wisely who right. you're going to go see, who you're going to, you know, I always say we're always getting hypnotized by the, the influence of the outside. The more aware you are, the more you can actually pick what you're programming your brain with so that you can pick positive stuff. And if you want to go to a, a Tony Robbins seminar because that feels positive to you, then do that. And if you want to go to church once a week because it helps you remember throughout the rest of the week the person you want to be, then do that. But pick it purposefully and don't let them pick it for you. Oh, that's really good advice. Well, you know, I was thinking, you know, before we got on, I was thinking, you know, in this world, we have so many scientists who are discovering new things. We have so much amazing technology. Why is it that we can't seem to figure out basic, simple ways to remove anxiety from our world? Like, I, I know we have ways, you know, right. meditation, you know we have ways, but for the mainstream world, there are so many people who are just, they feel completely disempowered, they feel lost, they feel overwhelmed. Why is this still such a huge problem? Um, because it's easier to control people who are scared. It's easier to control people who are anxious. I know this sounds really like conspiracy theory-like, um, yeah. but we know that this is true. When you're scared and you're looking for an answer, you're going to latch on typically, if you're not somebody who's super aware, to the first thing that sounds kind of okay. Um, somebody who has great certainty in how they're presenting even the strongest BS will win tons and tons of followers because if you have certainty if if you are integral in what you're saying and how your body language is then somebody who's scared and unsure is going to say well i don't know the answer but that person i can tell that they know that this is the answer and i may not understand the science behind it or you know any of the theories behind it but they are so 
certain in their body language and in what they're saying. And I'm so uncertain that I'm just going to follow them because they seem like a strong leader. There are so many messages on mainstream TV, and I don't watch mainstream TV really ever or hardly ever. But I mean, I know like with the advertising, you know, it's you go to commercial and you should have a hamburger from a great hamburger chain and look at how delicious it looks and look at how much fun you're going to have while you're eating it. You're going to feel amazing. And the fact is, if I went there and ate that hamburger, I'd think, Ooh, why did I do that? My gut aches now because there are so many unnatural ingredients. It's processed food that I don't want to consume. Sadly, these are just the kind of things that often cause us problems. Not to mention, you might see an ad for, you know, a drug company may have some sort of a medication advertised. We don't see that as much in Canada, but I think you do in the U.S. You have you have advertisements like that, and it may be a good thing or maybe for you that might not be the best. But we live in a world where you're right, we're being sold to every minute, every hour, aren't we? We are, we are. And and back to, you know, why more people in the uh, higher levels aren't talking about some of these healthy things that you can do. Well, because you can't make a buck off of somebody who is sitting quietly staring at a spot at the wall. <laughs> There's no money to be made in sitting zazen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like there's not a lot of money to be made in buying an apple. Whereas right. if I have a nice, beautiful package of some sort of a delicious apple donut or something, totally, I'm going to make a lot more money selling that. Totally. Yeah. So I think, you know, besides mindfulness, the other, the other switch that as a species we need to make is away from consumers and back to creators, back to, you know, we do little, we don't have a bunch of stuff, but we make stuff. And I think that is really, you know, hopefully the, the, advent of the internet and the ability for a bunch of people to connect and to share their wares online will help propagate this movement from consumer back to creator. I think you're right. And I know you're very creative because I've listened to your show. That's part of your creativity. Do you have other creative outlets, Shell? I have always been um, an artist type. Uh, even though I grew up with a grandmother who was a lawyer in the 40s and my dad did advertising and my mom was, she did both English and accounting. I don't quite know how that happened. Um, I certainly didn't get the math piece. I still count on my fingers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've always been very creative and I never, I never really thought that my voice uh, or stories uh, would be my creativity. I always thought that I would dance or paint or do pottery or take pictures. Uh, And I still dabble in those things a bit, but I have found as I grow older that the more time I spend in diving obsessively into distractions, the less time I have to do the important work. Now, that's not to say that dipping into them isn't good for your creativity because things cross-pollinate but I do have a tendency maybe because of my ADD nature of my brain that um, I become obsessive about what I'm working on for a month or three months or sometimes even six months and so watering that down or letting that obsession be about you know I'm an obsessive about my website and my marketing plan right now 
And then I'm going to obsess about making albums. I'm obsessed about finding really great background music. I spend a lot of time on my podcast looking for the pieces to make it work. Um, People don't, I don't think, understand that when you have a female voice and you're doing guided meditations, a lot of the royalty-free music that's available out there has too much high end in it to really comfortably fit, even though I have a lower end female voice, to comfortably fit with a female voice. And it just ends up kind of grating because there's just too much happening in the, in the higher levels of, of the sound. Um, so yeah, I spend a lot of time, hopefully now obsessing more about creating the work that I think is the most important and sure. less about just doing it because I want to do it. Sure, that makes sense. I want to ask you about your ADD and when you were diagnosed with this and what that was like for you. But also, if I were a father of, say, a five-year-old and that five-year-old seemed like really maybe having some problems concentrating and so on, and that child was diagnosed with ADD, is it a good thing to start talking about it, start dealing with it? I know a lot of parents don't want to label their child. They don't want to go there. What are your comments on that? Yeah. um, Well, not only do I have ADD and I was not diagnosed as a kid, I am in my late forties and that was not a diagnosis that, you know, Mm -hmm. they were throwing around in the seventies. As a teenager, there was some talk about uh, being bipolar, uh, but I was under a lot of stress at the time, and the therapist who did the testing said that uh, they felt that really the levels I was experiencing was due to the stress and not because of some innate biochemical thing. Okay. Um, I believe that that was my ADD, and it was just me trying to function. I've got the kind that's distractibility rather than hyperactivity. Okay. So I like to daydream. I love to read, you know, for I would get a book and I would just read all weekend and I wouldn't do my homework. And then I get really stressed out because I got behind that procrastination piece. Mm-hmm. And that's what was causing the highs and lows. I believe, and my, my son actually has the H part of it. He has the ADHD. Um, I was diagnosed as an adult with it rather than as a child. I was diagnosed like like a lot of parents. Hello, kitty. Can you come over here, please? Come over here. Thank you. Um, I was diagnosed when my son was getting his diagnosis, which uh, happens a lot. And I find that it's a gift. Uh, I wish that I had known when I was younger, um, whether I was five or 15. My son was 13 when he was diagnosed. Uh, We tried the med route with him and he tried about six different meds and he just was not happy with any of them. So we have gone the exercise, food, mindfulness route uh, with managing it and it's been pretty good. That's good. So tell us about some of the exercise. How do you implement exercise for a child that age? How do you, how does that work? Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, So this was based uh, in a suggestion that I was given that I did not come up with myself, um, that when your child gets up in the morning, uh, several times a week, and if your little one is home all the time, then you could do this every morning, that they have to physically exercise for at least 15, 20 minutes before they get their digital device. Okay. You let them earn their perks. Um, and definitely with a kid, you know, you're so with the ADD brain, 
gamification really works. It helps us feel soothed and it feels like we're doing something, even if we're procrastinating. So everything online has really gotten more and more gamified, even Facebook, you know, seeing how many people like your picture uh, and trying to limit that as much as possible. And there are some new games out there that are focused on mindfulness, um, which can make this idea of being able to relax yourself and be able to refocus yourself mm -hmm. a game for kids, I think introduce it to them early and let them know, even if you don't want to say that they have ADD, they do have this beautiful, quick mind. And if you can find things that they love, so they hyper focus on it, let them do that. There's this idea that we have to be these well-rounded people um, and I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think that dipping into a bunch of different areas early on in life so that we can find the stuff that really speaks to us is a better approach for most humans. Yes, and isn't it true that people like Steve Jobs and Einstein and different people who have really, really impacted the world, we read those biographies, autobiographies, we find out, oh, just a second, they were blessed with the same thing. And I love how you say, you know, it's, we're given, it, given that to us as almost as a gift. Yeah. Yeah, I, I call it my crazy, beautiful mind, whether it's with anxiety or with the ADD. And, and lots of people who have anxiety have ADD because our brains are really fast. We're constantly problem solving and we just have a tendency to problem solve in the negative, And then that's sure. what creates anxiety. And we can learn to slow ourselves down. We can learn to deal with those voices if it's those voices are usually what, you know, affect us that way. Totally, totally. And then to, you know, if you think of it like all those voices are crazy little kids in your brain, well, yeah. let's move them into an area that's more positive and let them just go be crazy over there and, and make good things happen in our life instead. Sure. Let's follow our fun as much as possible. Um, and that really is all about mindfulness. If you're not aware, if you're not in the moment going, huh, what's going on with me here? then you're not able to fully utilize all that you've got going on for the positive. And instead, it's just running roughshod over you instead. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, how does Shell Hamilton meditate? I'd love to hear about your own personal <laughs> meditation practice. Yeah, um, well, I used to do some proper meditation. I, I tried Zazen, that was just too brutal for me. Um, I used to sit with the Dharma punks with, with Noah in Los Angeles. I think they call themselves the Against the Stream group now. A uh, bunch of tattooed camo wearing Buddhists. I mean, sounds great to me. Yeah, I'll join. Uh, and that was really wonderful. Mm -hmm. But I find for me, more than sitting specifically, now I do sit sometimes specifically when I really feel like I need it. Uh, for me, it's really about checking in throughout the day, taking a few breaths and just kind of, because once you learn how to take yourself to that place, and I think this is where guided meditation can be really, really helpful in modern times. I think guided meditation done right is um, really a powerful meditation for modern man yes. because we do have so much going on and our brains are so used to a million things. Right. 
in times before we didn't have that, you know, walking through the woods, you don't have a million things coming at you. Uh, So to learn how to take yourself to that place through some maybe guided stuff or sitting silently if you prefer, and then throughout the day, bringing yourself back to that place whenever you need, whenever you find yourself getting off track to just kind of, okay, and do some positive self-talk about it and be aware. That way, anytime you're getting hooked, I think Pema Chodron talks about the Shempa, um, and it's this getting hooked by all these feelings. Anytime you get hooked and pulled off your course, you can stop and recenter yourself immediately once you get really good at it. Eh, you know, if it takes you a day at first, so be it. You're still getting there quicker. And then instead of reacting, you can respond. And that is the power of mindfulness, in my opinion, to be able to not have to be pulled this way and that, but to choose which way you're going to go. I love your description. That's great. I want to ask you a question about bullying because I worked in this field and still do have worked in it for a very long time. So bullying prevention is something we we sometimes dig in and we look at stories and discover, you know, what's gone on in the past. Do you have a story you can share with us, Shell, about bullying and how maybe mindfulness may have made a difference? Um, yeah, my bullying story had nothing mindful about it. Um, it was fourth grade. I went to inner city schools during desegregation. Um, and I, uh, there was a girl there who was just very not happy with mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. she used to beat me up after school pretty much every day. Uh, and she didn't stop until one day I hit her over the head with my lunchbox. So I don't think mindfulness had anything to do with that, but she definitely stopped when I whacked her upside the head with my lunchbox. Um, I don't remember which lunchbox that was, but it was metal. Uh, My son was bullied in middle school as well as our neighbor because we didn't live in the uh, big houses in the fancy part of our district. We lived in the the rental homes. Um, I think that for him, the thing that helped the most was him beginning to understand uh, through some work that he did with me that, how do I phrase this? If he didn't allow them to see any reaction in him, it didn't give them as much pleasure to do the things that they were doing. So learning again how to not react in the moment, but then to respond. Now, that's not to say that if somebody is being physical or, you know, overly threatening that, yes, you need to tell the adults yes. in the situation. We actually had to switch schools because adults were told and the bullying got even worse at the school. Um, but the shame involved in all of that and the, you know, because when the kid gets bullied, it's usually shame-based. It's fear and yes. shame-based. And yes. so the, the less that they respond in the moment, the less juice it gives the bully. But again, you know, that you can't just do that. I think that adults need to be brought into the situation oh, sure. as well. For sure. But I think you're right, Shell. I think that that decision to decide not to react 
or at least to react as little as possible. To me, that is a mindfulness type of decision. It's part of mindfulness. And I know when my son was seven, I think it was about seven years old, he said to me, Dad, I'm never going to be bullied. And I said, really? How do you know that? He says, well, because I'm just not going to react no matter what. No matter what anyone says, I'm just not going to react. And I thought, wow, that's pretty insightful. That's awesome of him. I love him. (laughs) (laughs) He's a great kid. Yeah, he's an awesome kid. He does a lot of my editing for my podcast. So he's mindful when he does that too. That is wonderful. He really likes it. Yeah, so I want to ask you some, uh, well, five quick answer questions, Shell. And the first one is, is this. I want to ask you, who is one person who has really truly influenced your mindfulness practice? Hey, it's hard to pick one person. You're really putting me on the spot I here, Bruce. I am putting you on the um, spot. You know what? I have to say me. You've, uh, you've been your own influence. That's I've awesome. I've been my own influence because... You know, the times in my life when I feel the most unsteady or the most crazy or the most triggered, you know, those have been massive learning experiences for me to not only recognize it, but to learn the ramp up to it. Because once you hit it, I used to get panic attacks um, and I don't get them anymore. I, I almost got one about three years ago and I was able to use the tools to kind of recognize and back it up and I didn't have to even leave the situation. Um, so yeah, I would say that I, I, I am, yeah, me. I think that's a great answer, Shell. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh, it's definitely made me less reactive. I've definitely gotten um, calmer, maybe sometimes to the detriment. Um, I think sometimes in our interpersonal relationships with a partner, when they're being very passionate about something, and when we go to the pure calm logic side, they're like, oh my God, you don't get me. What's wrong with you? You're, you're And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a Vulcan, I swear. Um, <laughs> So I think sometimes we have to, you know, say, oh, my God, that's amazing, and then go to our calm place. Right, sure. I think that's good advice. How is breathing part of your mindfulness practice? I know on your guided meditations it's part of it, but maybe in your own words. Um, So one of my favorite little breathing meditations uh, I actually do on my podcast. It's the Eckhart Tolle nose-focused breathing where you just kind of focus right here at the edges of the nostrils. Mm -hmm. And once I found that when I was reading, um, I don't remember if it was first or second book, that was revolutionary for me because the whole idea of having to pay attention to all of my breathing just felt like too much work. But just paying attention to the feeling of the air was really easy to do in any situation in life, walking from one room to another, in the middle of an argument, anything. So that is the the one practice that is both breathing focused as well as a meditation focused that if if I could tell people to just do one thing that would be it and it kind of brings it all together because you got a little focus and you got a little breathing and then you got your your calm yeah I like that I like that tell me this what is a book that you would recommend that's connected to mindfulness or grounded being focused Mm-hmm. Um, I lo- this might sound a little strange, but I love Don Miguel Ruiz's The Four Agreements. 
Mm. It doesn't sound strange at all to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not really, quote unquote, mindfulness. Right. um, But I think that, you know, he gives those four pillars that we can all agree are really great um, for us to try to live by. And it's always progress, not perfection. And one of the things I really love, well, two things. So he writes in a way that speaks to your subconscious mind because he's making these pictures and these, you know, he talks about living in a dream and other people have their waking dream and we have our dream. We could talk about this as psychology filters, but dreams are just so much more evocative for the subconscious. And then the other thing he does is with these four agreements, you can very quickly in any situation tell if something happening is your stuff or somebody else's stuff. And then that brings in that that piece of mindfulness to go, oh, okay, well, if it's not my stuff, then it's not my stuff. And if it is my stuff, now I get to go work on that. Yeah, I, I like the way you've described that. Uh, can you share an app which might help you be more mindful? Maybe it's specifically a mindful app. Maybe it's more of a productivity kind of app that helps you, you know, stay organized or something. Yeah, I am not a huge fan of apps in general. I find them very distracting and and I do download them from time to time. Um, The only one that I can recommend would be Evernote because I use it as my better brain. I dump ideas there. I clip articles there to read later. I make client notes there. And anytime that I'm feeling, this really helps with my anxiety as well. Anytime I'm feeling anxious, I can just make myself a little note throw it in Evernote, it's there. And it because it's across all my devices, it's always available to me. I find with um, a lot of people and their anxiety, and you know, especially if you throw ADD into the mix, right. we spend a lot of time worrying about remembering to do something or take care yes. of something or look at something. So Evernote for me creates more of a worry-free zone in my brain. Sure. Sure. And it's totally searchable. So I can go, if I just remember one word, like, oh, something podcast. Okay. And you just type in podcast and then all your notes come up and you can go, uh, oh, there it is. That's the note. That's the thing. Because I'll sometimes remember something that I read four years ago. And if I try to Google it, there's too much information. But if it's in my Evernote, then I can find it. Oh, that's perfect. That's great. Well, I love your podcast and I know Mindful Tribe, you will enjoy it if you check it out. But Shell, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how we can connect with you, mention your podcast, and just how we can reach out. The easiest thing to do is just to go to my website, shellhamilton.com. It's C-H-E-L Hamilton.com. Although I think if you misspell it, it'll still go to my page because I kind of bought a bunch of stuff really early on. Right. Um, you can find my podcast there. You can find, I've got a free ebook called Rewire It that teaches three simple steps to rewire your brain out of anxiety and negative thinking patterns so that you can be happier and calmer and more confident. Um, and there's no hypnosis required in that. It's just self-thinking. Uh, what else is on there? I don't know. I'm coming out with an album to um, that people can fall asleep to if they want to, an hour-long meditation album. That's there. That's the easiest way to find me. Just go to shellhamilton.com. Well, Shell, it was great to meet you at PodFest in Orlando. Great to have a chance to chat with you and even better to talk now and find out more about what makes you tick. So I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for being on Mindfulness Mode. 
Oh, Bruce, it is absolutely my honor and pleasure. And thank you for doing all of the good work that you are doing in the world, helping people be more mindful and relaxed so that they can better create the life that, you know, they're excited to wake up and do. <laughs> thank you for that. And thank you for all the work you're doing too. So take care. Have a great rest of your day, Shell. Bye for now. Yeah. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.